Hello and welcome to Life of the School, episode 28. My name is Aaron Matthew, and I'm a biology teacher at Acton Boxborough Regional High School. Each episode on Life of the School, I like to sit down with a fellow life science teacher and ask them how they got in the classroom, what are they currently working on, and what are their hopes for the future. Uh, this episode, I have tracked down over multiple state lines, I've tracked down Don Pinkerton. Don is a biology and biotechnology teacher at Revere High School in Revere, Massachusetts. Uh, Don is uh, well regarded for his professional development attendance at uh, MIT workshops like the one we met at last year at the Northeast Regional Pogel Workshop, which is where we currently are, uh, and also through the New England Biolabs uh, Biotech Workshop, which you'll give me a full formal name on that uh, afterwards. Uh, I am also happy to announce that Don is the 2017 Outstanding Biology Teacher for the state of Massachusetts. Welcome, Don. Thank you. So, um, so Don, I was joking around. I tracked you down on multiple state lines. I tr we tried to line this up back in uh, June, but June, as any teacher, particularly in Massachusetts, is known, is an insane month uh, to try to do that. Um, and I happened to peek and look to see that we are on. We were both coming down to this Pogel workshop down in Baltimore, which you didn't know. Um. <laughs> no, I didn't know. And, and it's always a surprise when you're waiting for a plane at the airport and you hear someone call your name. Like, Who could that be? So, yeah. There you were. So I reached over and I was like, yeah, hey, I, I was kind of like looking for you a little bit, thinking that perhaps there would be a shot that you were going to be on the same plane. Because, I mean, you know, we're flying to Baltimore. It's a Monday morning. We were coming to the same workshop. And lo and behold, uh, you got stuck with me down here for three days. So it's my pleasure. Yeah. <laughs> so it's always good to know someone at a workshop. Yeah. Yeah. And it was funny because I was I literally the week before I was at MIT uh, and the person sitting next to me was Stella. And we'll talk about Stella in a little bit yeah. because uh, she was with you at the New England Biolabs. Right. Uh, so you're, you were being spoken about uh, just a few days before that. So uh, I'm going to start with the first question I like to ask everybody, which is how did you get into the classroom? What was your what led you into becoming a, a high school life science teacher? Well, I am a um, second career teacher. I've been teaching for about eight years. Um, it's sort of a long story, but uh, I won't go into it in great detail. I had had a career in finance, uh, working for Fidelity Investments and other companies for many years. Um, but then came the crash of 2008, and all things kind of went uh, pear-shaped. But I was very fortunate in that uh, my company gave me a nice little severance package, and um, I'd always been thinking about teaching, um, well, certainly for the past, for the last few years of my career, really wasn't finding working there terribly personally rewarding. I think it was a, it was a great company to work for. There was a lot of advantages to working there. I got to do a lot of traveling, had a nice career, certainly no regrets about that. But it gave me the opportunity to go back to something I always loved, which was biology. I have a life science degree from UMass. Um, didn't go in that direction with my career, but always kind of in the back of my mind regretted that or at least thought about it. And so the layoff really gave me an opportunity to kind of reinvent myself. So I took a year and got my teaching credentials and went back to, um, to biology um, and was very pleased to pass the state qualifying exam to be a <laughs> biology teacher on the first try. And, you know, when I thought about teaching, um, it wasn't something that just came to me after the layoff. I had really been thinking about it for a while. 
and I knew a lot of people um, had thought about, oh, I should be a teacher for various reasons, um, all of which, or many of which are bad uh, when people <laughs> think about they want to be a teacher because of the lifestyle, the workload, or whatever, but those things are all false. Um, so uh, it gave me sort of an opportunity to reinvent myself a little bit and get the credentials. I um, was a substitute teacher at Salem High School, which if that doesn't scare you away, being a sub, <laughs> then nothing will. So I stuck through that. And then the fall of that year, I think that was the fall of uh, 09, sounds right. Yeah. Um, I got a short-term gig teaching for a um, maternity, um, someone on maternity leave teaching chemistry and earth science at Salem for six, eight weeks, something like that. Maybe it was 12, yeah, it's the 12 weeks. But then a, a position opened up at Revere High School, also someone going on a maternity, <laughs> but they were hiring a full-time teacher. So uh, I got hired at Revere High School. While, while I was kind of going through this process, I never thought, oh, I'm gonna work at an urban school. I, you know, I never really thought about that very much, but it's been fantastic. Um, I love teaching at Revere High School. I have to say that first year there, I started in December and the entire rest of the year, I was so nervous about whether they were gonna hire me back. I had no idea if this woman was gonna come back or if I was gonna have a job, but I did. And um, that's how I got there. And I have uh, been thrilled with it and very happy with my choices and uh, with the school and the kids there. Yeah, it's, it's funny because you know you talk about the why people would choose to go into teaching and I'm sure that all of the people who you know who aren't teachers there's I mean it's, it's an enormously diverse um, job so I think that what we have is and I, I mention this a lot of times um, when I interview people it's like when you go into teaching you sort of have this image of what teaching is and it's largely based off of what your own personal experience has been what was like for you as a student you know, maybe a little Mr. Holland's opus mixed in, a little bit Dead Poet right. Society. You get this sort of bizarre, you know, mental image of what it is. But the career is so much more diverse and nuanced. And, you know, it's funny. We've been down here at Pogle and we knew each other from, from last summer. Um, and we're talking and we know each other's context a little bit. We know a lot of common people. and We go over similar professional development. And several times people have said, oh, do you guys teach together? And every time they said it, the first couple of times, I was like, laughing because we could not teach I mean aside from the fact that our schools are about the same size we could not teach in more different schools <laughs> you know, right if we tried so um, one of the things you teach when you're there and we've, we've brought this up quite a bit of time is that you work with a lot of English language learners so what is it like to teach classes where not only do you have the, the content objectives and the science skills but also the language component um, that you're working with on a day-to-day -day basis well if you don't mind before I answer that, I want to respond a little bit to your comment about the differences in the schools. Yeah. There are, yes, that's absolutely true. I, I work at an urban, highly diverse urban school, um, and, um, you know, your school is, a, you know, in a fairly um, wealthy community with a lot of resources. Mm -hmm. But I would say at the kid level and at the academic level, we're really not that different. And, oh, I, yeah. and I say to people, too, that, you know, academically... You know, I think we're as good as anybody. Now, our kids come in with a lot of issues that your kids don't have. So that's a whole other context yeah. that we don't share. But I think their potential and where they can go and what they can do is, is they're just, they're kids just like any other kids. Oh, so. Absolutely. But, and for, for me, it's, uh, you know, I, I, for me, I came from a position of respect. 
having you know when I talked to you I taught I taught in a school a neighboring school right, right there and so um, I remember when I made the switch out to the suburbs which you know personally I'm very well suited from my history and my background and, and temperament and it's a school that I'm a very good match for just like it's a good very good uh, match for Revere um, I think that it's one of those cases where uh, the the differences and the baggages that the students bring in right. is very different and I don't want to make it sound like one is necessarily easier than the other because no. we've had these conversations that we deal with very different baggage uh, when these kids come in right. but the the hurdles that we have to face in terms of what our kids face outside of school is very different but you're absolutely right from an academic standpoint what we're trying to accomplish we're trying to trying to accomplish very similar things in right. our classes I mean I've, I've seen kids who have come from really absolute dead nothing and little villages and places where there are like no resources and they go off to Ivy League schools and so mm -hmm. you know that to me has just been so incredibly inspiring to see that happen with these kids you know I tell people I work in Revere and, and if you don't know Revere, you know about it, especially from Massachusetts, and everybody says, oh, Revere, you know, and that has this sort of reputation, but it's a great community, and I'm proud to work there. Um, the English language learner question. So I started working with ELLs, English language learners, probably about five years ago. I kind of fell into it, and, um, you know, I, I really enjoyed those students quite a bit. Um, I think that, you know, I, so I followed up, I, I took on a class. Last year, before the beginning of the school year, I said to my director, I had been teaching one uh, ELL class. We teach four class, or three classes, so I'd been teaching one. I said, you know, I wouldn't mind actually having another section. I really do enjoy those kids. So I took, I had two this year. Um, I went and got my ESL license through a grant program that we had at Salem State. and. Um, have had a ton of training on this. I know a lot of people have had the SEI. Well, mm -hmm. that's just sort of a part of it, <laughs> uh, SEI endorsement. But, um, but I have to say, despite all the training and all that, it's some days you're still not exactly sure what is the right thing to do. Um, you've got kids who don't have any English. This it's very nuanced. There's a lot of practice. There's a lot of, um, you know, being able to be flexible with them. Um, but I think that one of the keys is to really get to know them. And I think this is true with any, anything, any teaching any student. You know, building relationships with, with them is absolutely key. And I think I'm effective. If I'm effective with my ELLs, it's because I try to find some way to relate to them. A lot of them are Spanish speaking, not all, but I've, I've learned a little bit of Spanish. And um, so it's been a real pleasure, you know, trying to teach them, but it's a challenge. And sometimes you're just not really quite sure what to do. Yeah, when I hear you talk about that, one of those uh, themes that I pick up a lot of times is that um, I think that when teachers find that they're learning from their students, and particularly teachers who like to learn, uh, they really enjoy their classes because there's a challenge and there's something. I mean, it's kind of like, you know, why do we come to workshops in the middle of our summer? It's to learn things. Right. And, but the most learning I get is from the, you know, 14 to 18-year-olds who I interact with from September to June. Right. Um, so I, I guess the the question is is like, you know, as you're as you're working on language, what's different? What's different for you about that that pop, like? I mean, you may not. This may be an unanswerable question. It may be a totally right. unfair I question. I mean, it's. I think some of it is fairly straightforward. Like, 
there's a lot of things in our language that we just take, take for granted, like the little idioms, and I can't think of an example, but there's just mm -hmm. all kinds of little things that we just take for granted, and you say that to them, and, and they're like, what? And, and it doesn't make sense. Like, we have, English is so complicated, and it's got so many crazy little um, idiosyncrasies and words that have multiple meanings, and so there's that stuff you have to really be aware of. Mm -hmm. um, and you also have to be really aware of where they're coming from and what they've been through to get to where they are. Uh, a lot of them have had incredible struggles and, and you don't know a lot about it, but um, you know, they've, they've gone through a lot to get to where they are. And yeah. Um, so, yeah. It's, it's funny, like you, you were mentioning that and it reminded me, and I did have a student this past year um, in one of my classes who would on a, was definitely an English language learner in my honors bio class and would come up to me at the end of class. And most of the time, the questions I was getting were, were very specific, very content oriented. But, but I'd say about, you know, two or three times a month, she'd come up and she'd ask me a question and I would realize it was a, a, a turn of phrase, you know, something that I had thrown out, something that... You know, just sort of the way I speak, and I, I, I use a lot of catchphrases, I make a lot of references to pop culture stuff, I, make, I use a lot of idioms, and I have gone through the SEI endorsement, and, I, and for those who are non-Massachusetts teachers, uh, we have this, uh, this law that all teachers who have students who are English language learners uh, need to complete a course uh, through the state uh, and get endorsed by passing this course on uh, basically what it is like to be an English language learner, and it's a three-credit graduate course we have to take, that's the the most glossed over simplified version of that you have. And I have my endorsement and I've heard all of the things. And this year, as you said, when you said the word idiom, I was like, immediately saw the, the face of my student from last year who would come up and ask me these questions. And I'd be like, man, I'm a jerk. Yeah. I didn't even think of <laughs> that. I was using these phrases. And sometimes you think, you know them, but then you realize that they're really localized. Yeah. So, uh, um, you know, in our, in our, um, department-wide biology assessment, we allow uh, certain classes to have, and I hate this term, but we, everybody calls it a cheat sheet. It's really a document that helps them with the test, okay? Yeah. But everybody calls it a cheat sheet. So I'd say, okay, guys, today we're gonna work on making your cheat sheet. Well, to their ears, especially, I guess it was kids from Columbia, I can't remember if it was Columbia or El Salvador, but the, they were all laughing. I'm like, what are you guys laughing at? Well, it means to pee, so. <laughs> So they thought that was really funny. And there's some other stories I could tell that probably wouldn't be too appropriate for the podcast. Yeah, I don't have, podcast, the, I don't have the explicit on my... Uh, there's some, <laughs> some other choice ones uh, having to do with my attempt to pronounce Spanish words. Oh, yeah. But um, yeah, it's, it's fun. I mean, they're, they're really endearing kids. They absolutely are. And uh, my first period last year was probably one of my favorite classes in my career. Um, and they were low level by what I mean is their their English proficiency was really low, but they were just delightful um, so so uh, yeah the you know the, the what you're saying here about the the, the idioms and that sort of thing the, the funny thing is is that it's true of all learners because you know I make uh, I, I want to think it was like four or five years ago maybe even more recent than that we have this thing in our yearbook which is uh, what do the seniors leave to the juniors um, you know, it's uh, they have a phrase for it in the yearbook. But one of the things was the seniors leave to the juniors. May you someday get all of Mr. Matthews' jokes, um, because I make, I t I mean, to me, teaching is particularly when it's teacher centered, uh, which you know I don't do a ton of. But you know, we're teachers. We stand in front of the room. We get class started. We do routines. I make a million references. I make jokes. I make you know allusions to pop culture. I make allusions to movies and that sort of thing. 
And a lot of those are cultural sensitivity things that, that right. like just your average kid may or may not get. And a lot, sometimes I make jokes, you know, I, I was talking, I have this, uh, this group this past year, you know, you're talking about class. I had a, I had a phenomenal, one of those classes, just sort of like you, it was my age, it was later in the day. And they had, uh, had this girl who was in musicals and she's a quiet student, very studious, that sort of thing. And I put in a joke into one of my review games at the end for one of my 27 students. I put in this like built-in joke specifically for, for that her, yeah. for right. that kid because you know it was just one of those sort of appreciations of those kids and more than more than one got it, but it was it was targeted at the one. Um, but I, I realized I think the the SEI for me was super valuable um, on many levels. One because I learned about how I use language just in general and whether students are learning language or not, your choice of language really has a big impact on the kid's ability to learn, oh, even if they know English. Right. And that's the thing. And then the other thing I learned is, and you know, I, I, I've been talking about my alternative program kids a lot this past week as I'm down here because I think about them a lot in general because they are my, my challenging group. Their ability and their, um, their exposure to the world, mm -hmm. both from a academic content standpoint and just the world, right. is often uh, often has gaps in it. And, and those students, I became much more aware of my use of language and my use of reference and my use of modeling and how I make allusions to things or make um, analogies. Through the SEI course, I learned a lot about how you how you can choose to do that in a inclusive way or choose to want choose to make those words where it's like a, it's an inside joke and I think while it's fun to have inside jokes with a class it's not too good to have an inside joke that only some people get and some people are excluded right. for mm -hmm. and yeah it's no and I think you know I, I mess with my kids a lot I, I you know <laughs> I think any teacher well not certainly not all teachers I know a lot of teachers don't support this but you know I do use a little sarcasm I mess with them I I find things that uh, they would find amusing. Um, but I think, like I was saying earlier, I think, especially for kids from a different culture, if you can, if they see that you're identifying or at least picking up on some of their little cultural nuances, I think they appreciate that a little bit, you know? Um, yeah. So we had a great discussion one day about whether, so one of the native dishes or the indigenous, that's probably the wrong term, the, um, Popular food items in El Salvador is a pupusa, which is like one of these meat pie things. Everybody, mm -hmm. every culture has a meat pie. Um, it's called a pupusa, and uh, they can either be made with corn flour or rice flour. And we had this great long discussion about which was better and whose grandmother's was better, <laughs> and you know, that sort of thing. So, um, you know, they, I, they just want to know that you care and that you can relate to them in some yeah. way. That you're not some distant person yeah well and that's true of all kids right but exactly. I just for the record my grandmother's tortillera is better so. <laughs> <laughs> just, to, just to throw my cultural reference in there uh, so uh, one of the other things that I, I had alluded to it earlier um, and you know we we had met last last year it was very funny because like uh, I one of your colleagues uh, David and I had done a workshop at Tufts and then the following week we went to MIT um, and this was uh, the summer of 2016 and so um, during that week, I got to know David very well, and it was funny because I referred to Brian Dempsey as my work husband, and he's like, "Oh yeah, I got one of them too." Yeah, I got one. Of them. <laughs> <laughs> and, and you were he's his... picking me up at the airport today. <laughs> 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 
Because <laughs> my real wife is out of town. <laughs> so exactly. Uh, you know, and if I had called Brian, he would have come pick me up. So uh, that's sort of the cultural background of how I got to know you is that I got to know your colleague very well and then uh, and then, and then <laughs> got, to, got to meet you. Uh, but following that last year, you then went off and did this New England Biolabs uh, 13-day immersive biotech class. Right. And I had mentioned that... Um, one of the people who was at that workshop with us last year, Stella, was back again this year and we were talking and you've mentioned several times to me, like almost every time I've talked about professional development this, you know, yeah. these three days, you've gone, oh, but that New England Biolabs yeah, thing. So, so here's your opportunity to, to tell so like that. the literally dozens of listeners that I have, tell me about this New England Biolabs uh, workshop. Yeah, you sorry went to. about that. So <laughs> uh, I guess it, it was really, so New England Biolabs um, most most biology teachers would probably know it. It's a company in Ipswich, Massachusetts, and they supply enzymes and plasmids and reagents and so forth um, to do uh, biotech work. They supply academia and uh, industry. Great company, privately owned, and really, really, really supportive mm -hmm. of education. They supply, they provide us free materials to do some of the labs we do in my biotech class. Um, you know, uh, DNA ladders and all this stuff. Mm -hmm. Anyway, they sponsor a, um, what they call the Molecular Biology Boot Camp. It's at Smith College for two weeks in the summer. Um, it's not specifically for teachers. Matter of fact, of the 40 or 50 people that were there, there were only a handful of teachers, but they do offer a scholarship for teachers because it's quite expensive to attend. It's intended for people who are, who are working in or around the biotech industry who are not molecular biologists who need to have a grounding in the in the science um, so um, was very fortunate to get a scholarship to attend last year um, you show up at Smith College on a Sunday afternoon you're in a dorm and you're kind of wondering what the heck is going on and um, <laughs> then you start meeting some other people and uh, there's a social that night where you have a couple of beers and at the end of it, the, Steve, the professor who runs the program, is a Smith faculty member, um, says, okay, by the end of this evening, you have to have picked your lab partner. And the pressure that <laughs> must have put on a lot of people was, because you're going to spend two weeks with this person. And yeah. they even said that. He was like, you're, and you're going to spend more time with this person than you do probably with your spouse. So I was very fortunate that my friend Stella was there. I had met her the previous week at a workshop at MIT. So we ended up spending the two weeks in the lab together. It was great. Um, so you're there, uh, the program runs from about 8 in the morning till about 9 o'clock at night for two weeks. You have one Sunday off. Um, <laughs> and it sounds very intimidating, I'm sure, but it was really phenomenal. Uh, about half of it's lecture, um, and Steve goes through the materials. Then the other half is uh, lab activities. We did um, a DNA library, mouse liver. We did... Um, C uh, DNA, we did uh, RNAi, we did um, a CRISPR lab, all kinds of really cutting edge activities, and uh, it was a blast. But you have to be sort of a molecular biology nerd, I suppose, to appreciate it. But uh, I didn't know I was until I went, and uh, <laughs> <laughs> it was just a great program. I would highly recommend it for any teacher out there that has a couple of weeks that they can get away. Yeah, it, I didn't that weekend, that Sunday. I was so exhausted. I only live a couple hours from there. I didn't even go home. I mean. Um, just sort of relaxed uh, yeah. on campus there that day. So, yeah, great I mean, food, great camaraderie with your other uh, classmates. Um, it's like camp, <laughs> nerd camp. It was nerd camp <laughs> for nerd people, but it was great. <laughs> yeah, for for those who don't know, uh, doing the bio labs, and I'll put in my show notes. Um, they do have an educational 
support program where they will, um, as long as you ship back their styrofoam box to them mm -hmm. and you fill out the paperwork to become part of it, they will um, send you know many hundreds of dollars of biotech uh, resources to, to public schools for free. Um, I, I remember a few years ago, there was a year where I was doing a lot of projects and I was using them quite a bit and I had the question with it and I actually talked to a colleague and they're like, yeah, there is a limit. They will send you up to a certain amount uh, for free and there's a limit at that point then they'll give you a discount right. uh, if you go beyond that. So if you are a biotech teacher, but um, they are a phenomenal company. And I will also say for me, you know, I've mentioned my Wabakia workshop um, almost as many times as you mentioned this, uh, <laughs> this over the last few days. Um, when I was troubleshooting how to make the Wabakio project work, um, I actually got on the phone and I talked to their person and they're like, I'm not sure, but let me, they transferred me over, they found a biotech person there, I pulled up the protocol, we, they, they walked me through and then sent me the polymerase that they thought would work best. Yeah. And they, but they, they took time, this is just, I mean, they're volunteering not only the, the equipment, but the time of the people who work there. Uh, they are genuinely interested in helping educators effectively teach biotechnology. I, I've, I cannot say enough positive things about uh, New England Biolabs. Um, they're, they're an amazing company and, and they do, they provide phenomenal support. So I'll definitely put that link well, there, there are, And there are a number of companies and resources out there because I think the, the, the biotech world is realizing they need, they need scientists and, they, and the only way they're going to get them is by starting young and, and supporting education. So there's a lot of support out there. Uh, Amgen uh, supports mm. a program. Um, yeah, I, I had New England Biolabs on the phone. I couldn't get a Lambda Digest to work, and I had one of their scientists on the phone helping me, you know, understand the, you know, the dilution of the restriction enzyme they sent. So they're a great company. Yeah, the, the I, I had been told by somebody to do that, like, when I was struggling with that. Right. They're like, oh, just call them. And right. I was like, just call them. <laughs> like, Nobody calls anybody. Nobody calls anybody <laughs> and talks on the phone with anybody, but they, they absolutely were, uh, were supporting, um, supporting us. Um, so this is sort of led into, and I, I, you, you actually did spark a, a thought for me as you were, as you were talking about uh, this, because you, you also were uh, awarded, got an award from Amgen this past year, didn't you? Mm -hmm. So, so uh, <laughs> maybe I'll just back up a little bit. So a couple of years after I was into teaching, um, I'm, it's hard for me to do the same thing over and over again. So I started to think about, okay, what can I do besides teaching freshman biology over and over again? Not that I don't you know, enjoy that, but mm -hmm. you know, I like to do different things. So our uh, STEM director uh, called for um, proposals for electives, which normally aren't approved, but um, <laughs> I wrote a proposal for an elective to teach a biotech class, and I couched it on the terms of how, what, what an important industry it is for Massachusetts and all these things and how there's jobs at many levels. I mean, we're a working class community, so in biotech, you can go in as an associate's degree lab tech or a senior scientist or somewhere in between. So mm -hmm. lots of employment opportunities, uh, career readiness type argument. So they approved it, and uh, then the <laughs> gross realization came out that I actually had to come up with a curriculum for this thing, <laughs> and I didn't really have any formal training in biotech, so um, I had some excellent training from uh, Mass BioTeach did the Wolbachia project, got trained in that, mm -hmm. and that was fantastic. And then didn't know quite what to do from there. And then I came across this program that's offered by the Amgen Foundation to support teachers in doing some basic biotechnology labs. It's um, run through Harvard Life Science Outreach, 
and they have a really great program to get this technology into the classroom. They provide not only technical expertise, but also material um, support as well, um, reagents and equipment and mm -hmm. so forth. So I started working with this um, Amgen Foundation project, Amgen um, Biotech Experience, it's called ABE. And so I've been doing that for probably five or six years now. And they have a sequence of labs you can choose to do as many or as few as you want. I run through the whole lab sequence and oh, I, work, wow. I work very closely with uh, um, the support folks at Harvard on this. Um, my good, now good friend, Alia Katarna, who uh, really has been just so instrumental in supporting my class. She comes to the class, kids wow. love her. She's from East Boston, and you know she's just this great uh, young woman who Wait, really. She's from East Boston. She comes to Revere. Yeah, <laughs> yeah she does. <laughs> She'll come to Revere if she has to. But no, the kids love her. Uh, she's got a lot of energy and very uh, animated, and yeah. um, really, really, really smart and helpful. So absolutely. Um, so I've been doing this program for a while, and um, so they have a an award, I guess, for a group of teachers who, um, you know, they feel are doing a good job of the program, and I, I got that award uh, this year. Yeah, I, I saw that in the, the newsletter they send out. So I've, I have dipped my toe into the ABE. I do not have a biotech elective, mm -hmm. um, which I have mixed feelings about it, particularly in my school, because our students get a lot of biotech in regular bio. They also get a lot of biotech in AP. Right. And I have this, you know, and I also have this weird feeling about electives in my school because there's only one of me. And having taught electives, what it ends up doing is it just splits me up. And then, you know, there's only so many times right. I could teach it. And, have, you know, it's teaching electives, is, it, it, the downside is, is that if I was to pick up an elective, it means I have to give up right. some of my babies, some of the things I love to do. And um, and I think if I was to pick up a biotech elective, it certainly would be along the lines of what, you know, what, what, what ABE does. Well, I had taught an oceanography elective for a while that got handed to me. The curriculum yeah. was handed to me. I got to say, I love marine science. I'm involved with mass marine educators. I'm on the board there. I'm really interested in this stuff. Yeah. But teaching that elective was brutal because I didn't come up with it and I didn't design it. Yeah, and so with biotech, it's my baby, and um, you know I feel like it's gotten better every year, and I learn a lot from it, and it's a lot of fun to teach. You're giving me flashbacks though when I taught in Winthrop, and I would go out to the salt flats from uh, with my environmental science class, uh, mm -hmm. <laughs> and collect, which was awesome. It was like one of the best things I think I did with right. those kids was to go out to the salt flats. And just for people who aren't from the Boston area, um, I taught in Winthrop, which is I did drive through Revere, I had to drive by Kelly's. Uh, mm. to get there, <laughs> which Kelly's roast beef, in order to get to the Best lobster to the rolls school. anywhere. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah, so I used to drive through Revere. I used to drive right by Revere High School every day in my third and fourth year teaching. Uh, it was the drive right by, uh, you know, I don't think it's, I think the school has changed since back then when I drove through. I think you've renovated quite a bit uh, since then. Or right, renovated a little bit. Yeah, a little bit. <laughs> you renovated a little bit. downside. We're kind of in an older building that's reached the max for its population. Yeah, but um, so I, when I talk about this, it's very much, I, I very much relate to this, this place and this time. So I think we're getting our, uh, we're getting our texts for our super shuttle. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. Where they don't know where to pick me up. So oh, okay. Figure out where to do that. All right. So uh, we got like a question and a half left or so. Uh, so uh, next question is: So now that you've you are somebody who doesn't like to sit still, you book your summers full of professional development. What are you looking forward to in the next couple of years as, as in the classroom? Um, I'm not going to say retirement yet, but. Um, <laughs> um, 
what am I looking forward to in the classroom? Um, I'd like to expand the um, biotech program a little bit more, get into some of the new technologies. Um, I'd like to really still build the practice with the English language learners and try to figure out the really sweet spot for them. We're at this Pogel workshop, I think. If you don't know it, um, just go to, it's P-O-G-I-L, Pogel.org. Great set of student-centered resources. It's a great tool for student-centered learning. Um, and I've used it in honors bio classes before, and it's just not real accessible for English language learners. So I'm trying to find the tools and the materials and really trying to perfect that a little bit. And then, you know, maybe figure out a way to communicate that back out to other teachers who might be struggling with how to, to educate English language learners because they're becoming, a, you know, they're really a growing um, portion of our population still. And, uh, you know, we need to be able to serve them. So I'm really trying to figure out a way to, to perfect that or get better at it so, yeah. Um, yeah it's been it's been fun to watch um, you interacting with facilitators here uh, in there and and I mean that in the nicest possible way because um, I think this has been an interesting workshop because uh, you know and I think you've said this a few times you know as as K through 12 educators I think we're ahead of the curve mm -hmm. in terms of student center I think and particularly the the K-12 educators who come to this workshop so I think you know we are a slice of a slice of people who who understand particularly with certain populations um, of students where the the sort where the student centered needs to start how early it needs to start how often you should be student centered all students benefit from that but if you've got like you know my honors kids, my AP kids, my, I use the word compliant. My kids are super compliant. They'll sit there and take notes all day long. That's not to say they can't benefit from student-centered instruction, but for a lot of students where the language or their background it's not accessible, you need to put in a point where they can interact with the curriculum so that they don't feel discouraged right. and are not dissuaded from being connected to the subject. You know, how many people have you met that just tell you, yeah, I just wasn't good in science? Right. It's like, what, what do you mean? Well, you're not good at science. Everybody, everybody can do science. Right. Science is the most democratic of all fields, but it's not always presented in a way right. that's democratic for everybody. Um, so it's been interesting when you were here and we're the K-12 representatives, and there's a lot of college professors here. And for college professors, it's kind of like they've seen the light. It's like, oh, we don't stand up yeah. in front. It's like this is a group of people who, in a large part, have seen that, you know, lecture is not the only way. And now they've come here and they're like, oh, great. I learned that lecture is not the only way. And these people are showing me how right. not to lecture. Right. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, I think we are ahead of the game in a lot of ways. But it also worries me a little bit because we talk about college and career readiness. And we're, we're you know, we do all these progressive student-centered learning techniques, but are we really preparing them for a college where they're gonna sit in a lecture hall all day long? I, I don't know, I, I'm really mixed about it. I mean, certainly I feel like as a teacher, it's a far better way to teach and communicate your subject than just standing in front of the room. Not, not to say I don't do that occasionally. <laughs> I mean, there is a time and a place. But, um, you know, and then again, with, uh, with, with a lot of English language learners, I think teachers sometimes that aren't real familiar with them may feel like they're sort of tabula rasa, right? They come in, they don't know anything. Well, that's not true. Yeah. They all have prior knowledge. And depending on where they come from, you know, you can really tap into that. Um, a lot of them have learned science. Yeah. They don't know. It's not that they don't know it. They just need to know how to put it into a, a, a language context. Yeah, and we, and also I think, you know, this is one of those things when you have a deficit, and I can speak from personal experience, I don't necessarily know their culture. I do mm -hmm. not know their language. I do not know how to access their prior knowledge. Right. Whereas, you know, 
Joe Average kid from the suburbs. Hey, I was Joe Average kid from the suburbs. Right. I have a 14-year-old at home. Yeah. I know their world. Um, and so I have avenues to access their prior knowledge. Right. And that's a, it's an interesting dynamic yep. uh, when, as an adult, you don't know stuff. Right. And, um, I, you know, we've spoken about this before, and I think we're of like mind in this, that we are not above saying, I don't know this. Oh, yeah, I, I didn't, I'm the first one to say I don't know something. <laughs> but I think that that's not something that's natural for a lot of adults right. in general, and certainly it's not, an, an, it's not natural enough for enough teachers, I right. would say that. Yeah, maybe. All right, so uh, before we possibly get to Picks of the Week, uh, do you have any questions for me? We've spent three days together. We've been at workshops before together. Uh, you don't have to have a question for me, but any questions for me that have come um, up? I think we're, you know, again, we keep talking about how we teach at these very different schools, um, and I think that's really true. I think it would be really interesting to swap for a day. And I wonder if that's something that would ever be possible. Yeah. And just to see what that would be like. Because I don't know what it's like to teach in a school like you. I mean, now my kids went to schools like the ones you went to. <laughs> I went to a school like, so I guess maybe I do know what that school's like. But I wonder if that's something that would ever be possible or whether, you know, you'd have interest in doing that or, yeah. and whether it really is there anything to learn from that. I don't know. But Yeah, I think maybe we would be really like bad guinea pigs at that. Um, so, yeah. because of who we are and right. our background. Right. So, you know, I've taught in, you know, and I've mentioned, I, right, that's true. You've you know, I've taught, I've taught in some that's rough true. schools and I've taught in some schools where, you know, I, I always like to tell my, my, you've heard this story, I'm sure other people have told, told me one of the day I interviewed in Winthrop, uh, I left Winthrop and interviewed in Acton and I, I went in there, I came back the next day and I had this kid and I asked the kids, you know, like, how was it when I wasn't here? And this one kid looked up at me and he goes, uh, oh, you were here? <laughs> yeah. No, no, he didn't say that. He said, he said, it took three three adults to keep us in line. It was awesome. <laughs> All right. So, and, yeah, I guess that's true. You have, you know. And I, so, like, because I had level three you, chemistry. I had the lowest level chemistry. And you have your, chemistry. you have your. Uh, your alternative, alternative program, program kids. So. Um, yeah. Although those kids are, like, not the same as level three chem in, in Winthrop. And I had those kids 90 minutes a, 90 minutes a day. Right. You know, every day. And. I love teaching that, that class. Right. And when I went to Acton, they said, yeah, we're going to give you the rough kids. And I was like, yeah, only five of them said thank you on the way out the door. <laughs> the, those were the, the rough kids in Acton. And it was a very different world. And I, I will actually tell you, it probably for the first couple of years, I had a, a bit of a crisis. Not in, like I knew how to teach a certain population. And I didn't know how to handle parents who would come and challenge me on what yeah, I was teaching. I, I don't get that. And I didn't know how to, to deal with kids who challenged me on what I knew. And I was young and I was inexperienced and I, you know, and when you're young and you're challenged and I was like, what do you mean? Like, why are you challenging me? My back would get up and, you know, I, I, I love to say I handled it with grace and dignity, but I'm sure I didn't. Um, in fact, I know I didn't, that I had to learn how to teach very differently. With that said, I think that both of us considering our, um, maturity, um, our experience and our background. Uh, you know, I used the word seasoned to describe yeah, somebody yeah. the other day. Sure. Um, I, I think that we would be fine. What would be interested, interesting is what I find is I occasionally am sitting around the lunchroom at my school and I will have people complain about things in my school. And I'm sure people complain oh, about yeah. things in your school and the way they complain about them shows a lack of understanding of the world of teaching. Right. It shows a sort of a myopic view that like teaching 
is teaching where we teach with the kids we teach. Mm -hmm. And that is not all of what teaching is. And I think that, um, you know, I'd I'd be totally up for it, but I, again, I I don't. Yeah, I I guess I see your point. I think my, my um, sort of reason for bringing it up, and I think you appreciate this knowing your background, but um, kids are kids. And I think that really at the end of the day, you'd be surprised how little difference is. I think that probably the biggest differences would be the home stuff and the parents, because yeah. we don't get a lot of that, though we certainly do with our AP kids and our, some of our honors parents. Yeah. But it's not, you know, we don't have kids whose parents have a lot of interaction with with school and, and, and education, so. Yeah, it's, I, I think your point of kids are kids is a great point. Um, it's just a case of you know what have they been loaded with beforehand and what's their baggage outside and it's exactly. not just it's not to say that the baggage is better or worse it's just different um, mm-hmm. you know I have kids who are amazingly bright kids kids who work doggedly hard and if you ask them they'll tell you that they're stupid oh well, yeah and and that's because they're in you know that's that's the nature they are they're not as smart as their older brother or older sister they're not or the, as their parents you know expect yeah them. and they you know they're they view themselves as some sort of failure and it's it's not it's just that they they're the baggage that they bring is bad and they beat themselves up over things that they can't control um it, it's it's a very different case and as i said i spend a large percentage of my time telling my kids that they are not a number mm-hmm that they are smart, that they're gonna do well. I tell them a lot of things that they should know based off of their privilege, but because of you know the baggage they bring in, it is not a message that, it is not a cultural message they get in our school. They, they've learned to label themselves in a particular way, which is not constructive. Right. And it's, it's hard to change that narrative with kids. And they are just kids. And you know, as I said, it's really easy to get pissed off at adults. It's, for me, it's a hard time to get pissed off at kids because to me, they're just kids and they need to learn. And it's, I think, you know, when I was, you know, 25, 26, I could get pissed off at kids pretty easy. Right. And when I was 34, 35, but you know, you get through this, you meet enough kids, you ask enough questions, you hear enough stories, you start to realize kids are kids and that's our job to support them. And also the maturity level that we have, <laughs> that euphemism, I think you, you just, you know, you, you, you grow patience. I mean, my kids tell me all the time how patient I am. I don't feel very patient a lot of the times, but they see me as that way, which is great. Um, and I think it's like, because I know they're going to go through stuff and they're going to, you know, some days they're going to be a pain. Yeah. Um, but you got to be patient with them. All right. So as we wrap up here, should we just make Pogel our pick of the week or do we have anything else to add in? Um, I always have a reservoir. Um, <laughs> so tell me again about what you're... So, so usually what I like to do is I like to pick a, a resource or an activity or something like that that, that, that somebody might might not know about that they might be interested in trying um, and uh, and they would go well, ahead. I, I guess I there. could have one. So this last week I was at a workshop. I told myself I was only going to do two workshops this summer. Now I'm up to four. Yeah. But I did one last week. Um, and if you're local to Boston, it's at uh, Harvard Medical School. It's called the um, uh, Person, Personal Genetics Education Project, PGED. Mm-hmm. Great, just a short little two-day workshop on um, personal genetics and social justice. They have other workshops that they do. If you're not local, go to their website, pged.org. Really great program. Um, and I think uh, their message uh, around social justice and, and what we're learning about genetics is really, really interesting. So I would go for that. Um, this is 
it's been out there for a few years now. It's the first year I had a chance to go, and I would definitely go to another one of their to another one of their workshops. Yeah. And if we want to put in a plug for Pogel too, since we're here, that's fine too. Yeah, I'll so. definitely put Pogel in the show notes. So um, my uh, my pick is going to be um, Thing Explainer. Uh, I haven't made the Thing Explainer a specific uh, pick. Uh, I don't think it has. Uh, but the Thing Explainer is uh, for those of you guys who don't know, is it's a book where a um, a, a person wrote uh, descriptions for uh, different act, uh, basically different terms um, and used just the 10,000, or as I think he said, uh, yeah, I think it's 10,000 most common used uh, words in the, uh, in the English language huh. to do it. So, um, so I actually have found that there is a website where you can type up a description and it will check for you whether or not you're meeting the thing explainer criteria and so yeah um it's uh, so for example when they talk about the apollo space mission uh, i think believe he called it the upgoer five uh was the name uh, of it and then so using very common language and i think you know not to say because we're talking about english language learning and, and language um for me i actually was working on trying to come up with a creation project around cells where we could get away from the jargon and then make kids try to come up with ways of writing Thing explainer definitions for the parts of the cell. Now they have done that, so they have a book, and the parts of the cells are definitely oh, in there. Great. I, I think they're it. like they're like life bags of water or something like that. I love it. I, uh, this is sounding vaguely familiar, but I'm definitely going to check this out. Yeah, so I'll put show, uh, show notes. Uh, I'll put a link uh, to the book, and I'll also put a link in for the uh, the thing explainer um, website that checks whether or not you're meeting thing explainer criteria. Um, I definitely am. I'm playing around. I was working on a creation assignment around that where I was going to challenge kids to come up with thing explainer uh, definitions uh, to avoid the jargon, to not lapse into just using a highfalutin you know term uh, when they're describing something, and see could they get down to it. And you know, as we know, all models are wrong, but some models are useful. I think using some really simple language will highlight that because maybe they're using language that's overly simplified. It's not perfect, uh, but it's it's really it, it may I think it may illuminate some things and, and may provide some things. Again, I've said this before. It could completely fall flat on its face and be a complete failure, but <laughs> such is life and that's teaching. So good. Thank you again for joining me, Don. Absolutely. Let me give my credits for the episode. This and every episode uh, has uh, music by Jake Jenkins and Ex-Magicians. You can get show notes on lifeofthesschool.org. You can also uh, follow me at Mr. Matthew Tweets or at Life of the School, both on Twitter. I do not think Don is on Twitter. I could not find him. I am on Twitter at Pinkerteach, P-I-N-K-E-R-T. E A C H. Oh, totally gonna follow up. And with it. Instagram, if you want. Oh, and Instagram too. <laughs> I, that's like probably first. Instagram. I don't do a lot of tweeting, but I do post Instagram pictures that are usually some sort of natural world type thing that I've observed. So. Oh, totally gonna add that in. This is like <laughs> that is my show surprise there. I didn't, I didn't know that, and I and I stalk you, so like I, I already looked you up, and I hadn't even found anything. At Pinker Teach. At Pinker Teach. Awesome. So thank you again for joining me, and I'll talk to everybody soon. Mm-hmm.